monograph as a tool that we have now used for almost a year now, I think. But this is really has become a, a bit of a game changer in that it is the data collection mechanism that basically allows us to deal almost in a real-time way, deal with project performance. And this is where medium-sized firms can operate like large firms, in my opinion. We are now set up, we could easily grow. In my opinion, I think we could double, and with this structure, we could fairly easily do it. So we are actually corporate in structure, but totally non-corporate in spirit. Welcome everyone to Section Cut, our first ever conference dedicated to the stories of leaders who are innovating on practice operations. Up now on Office Stage, we have Tom Jacobs from Cruex Sexton's Partners. For your first success story, Cruex Sexton Partners is a Chicago design firm unique in its ability to realize the hidden potential of a project and to create environments that elevate the human experience. Tom is a co-managing partner and will walk us through how they embrace transparency as their core firm structure to improve operations across project teams. Please join me in welcoming Tom to the stage. Hi, Tom, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Chris, it's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely, so you're gonna be presenting some slides. We're very excited to see them. Yes, thank you, Chris. So thank you to the whole Monograph team for the opportunity to share our quote unquote success story. As we learned in business school strategy session, growth is magic, but also all growth ends. So running a firm is a little bit like running away from the lion, where the only question is who runs faster. And since we're talking about animals and hats, I do just have to do a quick shout out to the monograph team for picking the title section cut. Because of course, if you want to know, if you want to really find out what is happening in an organization, there's only one way to find out and it is the section. So amazing conference title. I've been waiting to use this slide for a number of years now. We are, as Chris said, a Chicago architecture firm with an intentionally diverse portfolio that spans across a broad range of clients, including the US government, the private sector with a number of companies and cultural and learning institutions. We believe in the power of imagination, the delights of discovery and the ability of architecture to inspire and improve life. And you know, it just struck me in the opening keynote by Rios, a lot of discussion about joy and I have to tell you, this project in the Crown Fountain here in Chicago was basically a seminal project for our firm because we experienced joy open and accessible to all in a way that we had never experienced before with any of our other projects. So our firm was founded 40 years ago by Ron Crick and Mark Sexton, two very different people. And you know, this is sort of the, the DNA of our partnership, the idea that actually diverse or different people coming together makes a better product than sort of maybe a single vision in mind. I joined the firm in 1998 and became a partner in 2015. And in 2020, last year, basically as COVID was affecting all of us, we did 
add five new partners to our firm, long-term collaborators. And in addition to that, we also experienced relatively uh, a significant growth for our based on our experience in that we went from 19, a team of 19 at the beginning of 2019 to now 47. And so what I want to talk a little bit about is how, you know, when you're a small firm, when you're anywhere from 10 to 15 people, you can get away with quite a lot of things, both, especially as far as business is concerned. But when you're bigger, you have to make everything significantly more didactic and clear. And so this is where transparency comes in, which is what I really want to talk about. Transparency as the idea, just even making the very firm structure very clear. And this is, you know, we've worked with Marjane Pearson, who you've just heard from before as well. Uh, we worked with Marjane for probably about over three years. And maybe the most important structural insight or something that we had to learn was that there are architecture firm domains, spheres of activity that are nesting, right? So like, I mean, this is the project circle while shown the smallest here is basically the one you have to know down to the last detail what your company is all about, how it runs. And this is just like if you make toothbrushes and then there's a production line, you have to know how that machine works. And the equivalent in, a, in the service industry is basically projects. but in the direction from left to right is greater complexity and also greater responsibility. And so this is a fundamental, you know, this might seem like, oh, what's the big deal here? But the truth is in our experience, this actually was quite literally a very big deal. The understanding that we have to organize ourselves along these various buckets, if you will. So 70 to 80% of our time and our team members spend, you know, work in, in projects. They are concerned with the quality of drawings and specs. And also what's very important, and we can never forget, they're actually the closest to the client every day, right? So this is as much as everybody talks about business development and networking, our people who are working on projects interact with the clients every day and thus have a front seat to basically make a good impression, provide amazing service. And so from that project's area grows into all the concerns about practice operations, which is pretty much why we are all here talking about this in the conference. And then as you move further to the right, the enterprise domain, the creation of value, and this is where it gets quite interesting because we ended up, again, compared to when we were smaller and we it was more word of mouth and so forth. But now at our size, we actually had to gain clarity of what is our value proposition. And so that's something that we worked with another consultant out of California, Jean Mandel. We worked with her and it took quite some time to formulate, let's say, a value proposition. And from that which is more internally focused, but from that we also then, you know, developed branding statements and so forth. But this is all, you know, a long-winded way of saying that if you're as a company leader, everything ends up, right? The buck stops here at the top, if you will. The fiduciary responsibility is basically the ultimate responsibility over everything in the firm. And you can imagine doing this with two partners is very different than when you are eight and the question for us is 
what parts of the legacy do we preserve? And there are you know, many things like fundamental architectural values that show up in our portfolio that we're very proud and that we think are timeless. We don't really believe good space, good daylight, good proportions are gonna go out of style. You know, they're, they're truly timeless values that we wanna hold on to. But at the same time, in light of this rapidly changing and sometimes really crazy world, we also, of course, have to remain very nimble and be open to change. So last step in sort of transparency. So this framework basically led to, this is how we govern and how we make decisions. And this has taken us, I mean, I can't say it's taken us 40 years, but from the moment that we started growing and, and thinking in a different way, sort of towards the future, the reason this could also be explained under transparency is that if you only have clarity about this in the boardroom or I'm on the leadership, then it doesn't really mean that much. Things like this, documents like this have to be shared with every member of the team so that they actually know where their contribution really matters. And again, the large majority of team members of architects are going to be in that project's domain. But there is a little gap in here. And of course, that's a little bit of a, a reference to monograph as a tool that we have now used for almost a year now, I think. But this is really has become a, a bit of a game changer in that it is the data collection mechanism that basically allows us to deal almost in a real time way, deal with project performance. And this is where medium-sized firms can operate like large firms, in my opinion. We are now set up, we could easily grow. In my opinion, I think we could double and with the structure, we could fairly easily do it. So we are actually corporate in structure but totally non-corporate in spirit. And so this is, you know, I have a fairly strong bias towards corporate culture, especially in America, but I think there, it's like, it's not as easy as saying like, well, that's all bad. I think structurally there's many things to learn and interface has made a big difference to us in actually capturing the data. So when it comes to resource planning, I'm pretty sure you all know this, but before, incredibly slow, incredibly painful, and incredibly inaccurate. Because, okay, on the left side is a, an Excel spreadsheet. You all know how that works. But you sort of pick the data from some other accounting software, and that takes forever. And at the end of the day, when you're done, you think like, oh, wow, now we know what we're doing. Of course, two days later, it's already out of date. So with Monograph, there's a one of the tools is a great resource planning tool that you see. This can basically be done three ways. You can actually run this by actual contracts and, and out budgeted hours. You can do it by uh, last week's timesheets from everybody, or as we almost always do it, we do it by a budget of required hours. So we're not running this totally down to the dollar, but more like what we know is actually required on a job. And then lastly, when it comes to timesheet, and you know, timesheet entry is, I've yet to meet a firm, and if any of you are out there who have figured out how to get people to joyfully fill out a timesheet, please, please let us know. All we can say is that by using this tool, it's gotten significantly better 
because of course it's a you know it's communication based on graphic clarity and so forth and one of the things you can see like you know on that top job i'm sort of supposed my budget on that job is to spend one hour when i've booked that hour on tuesday august 3 it basically fills out the circles it's very simple and easy to understand where you're at and so lastly that tool of course you know once it starts revolving in that project domain it becomes a flywheel it becomes the gears of the very fundamental gears of the company that and it reinforces itself the company becomes more accurate more timely and so forth and so on so i do want to talk about discipline too though because transparency i think is maybe the number one ingredient but i think discipline is the number two and this is somewhat easy for me because not only have I grown up in Switzerland and I'm actually a Swiss citizen, I have also been in the Swiss army for two years. And believe it or not, but the guy in the front is me at about 20 years old. So I've always been in sync with discipline and never had a problem with it. But what happens in an army actually compares pretty directly what can happen in the business. And so when I first read Good to Great by Jim Collins, what struck me most was the idea that, the idea of the of flywheel of momentum. And especially because the core idea of this flywheel of business momentum was in Jim Collins's view, the idea of first disciplined people followed by disciplined thought and lastly, by disciplined action. And what I can tell you is that if we are a current success story, it's basically because we've actually worked along this, not necessarily consciously, but we have very disciplined people. We still have the founders that are very active with their spirit, and we have very disciplined people. Like as Jim Collins would say, we have the right people on the bus. We know this without a doubt. We have then spent a number of years, I would say, I mean, we, we in nine years ago, we created the first strategic plan, but that was, you know, we created it, but then we had trouble implementing it. So that's when we engaged Margie and Pearson and others, and we spent a number of years clarifying our thought, and now we are in the implementation disciplined action. And this is basically where it's at. It doesn't matter how good your plans are plans themselves actually don't really matter that much the question becomes how disciplined can you be implementing it and then at the very end you see technology accelerators which i think is very interesting for monograph because of course that's a perfect example of a technology accelerator monograph will never solve any of her problems but when you have done all the other homework it become it can become very very powerful and the other idea, then you could say like, yeah, but doesn't discipline sort of, you know, automatically mean that you, that all the creativity is going to go away? And the truth or the, this is borne out in research is not at all. And so this is one of the best articles that we now require all of our staff to be familiar with. The Hard Truth About Innovative Cultures by Gary Pisano that was published in the Harvard Business Review. And it basically says... It's a hard truth. Everybody loves to talk about innovation and so forth, but there's a hard truth behind it. And it is, yes, creativity is important and it's the messy part. And yes, we allow you to fail, but it needs discipline and management. And so, you know, for my Swiss mind, this is heaven.
So I want to leave you with a little bit of uh, circling back to Jim Collins, who basically asked the question, are you creating the next great innovation or are you creating an environment that stimulates innovation? And he continues on by suggesting that the next wave of enduring great companies will be built not by technical or product visionaries, but by social visionaries. Those who see their company and how it operates as their ultimate creation and who invent entirely new ways of organizing human effort and creativity. And so, you know, from the moment I saw this or read this and became aware of it, it's become a game changer in my mind as a co-managing partner of Greg Sexton Partners. I think this is so true. And again, it's just sort of listening to the presentation by Rios. I think we're all realizing that this is the case. And I think it's especially true in light of the challenges that we're facing, climate action and so forth. We have to do this now with speed and scale. And so I want to just, our current effort to basically go towards circling back to culture and really having an open conversation about that, including every member of the studio, is that we are now working on developing a compass, which was inspired by Joe Ito when he suggested that there are times it's better to have compasses than maps. And sort of, you know, a compass that just sort of guides you in the right direction. And you may see here on the, some of the headings of the content of the compass, we are just the usual suspects like what are our values and our mission, but there's also lifelong personal growth, work-life balance, physical and mental health. 2000 years ago, Seneca suggested or wondered why we were so addicted to wealth when one can always find a way to make more money. Time, however, is a truly non-renewable resource. So why then do we act like we have all the time in the world? And especially today, we, this isn't a luxury we no longer have. We have to act now. And so I leave you with this. Uh, let's share at this crossroads for humanity. I think the idea that we run our companies with blinders on and we say, oh, if we know something, it's going to be good for a competitive nature. I think we have to tear those walls down. Let's act like the Vikings who whenever they were about to conquer new territory, the first thing they did when they came ashore, they burned their boats. And so now we can no longer burn them because we don't want to have carbon in the atmosphere, but we can probably take the boats apart and put them in mass timber construction. So we're totally serious about this. Let's share. Please reach out to us. We have to collaborate in a much smarter way. Thank you, wow, Tom. Tom, thank you so much. I uh, wish we had way more time to talk through all these points, but we got to bring you on next time uh, in a further conversation to give you a little bit more time to really unpack that. But that was fantastic. Thank you so much, Tom. Hey, it's Chris from Monograph. Thank you so much for joining us here. At Monograph, we're building the number one practice operations platform for small to mid-sized architecture firms. More than 200 practices are using Monograph today to run the business side of architecture. You can start a free trial today or watch a live demo with our CEO, Robert Ewan. Get started at monograph.com. That's monograph.com. Talk to you soon.